Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Feldstrin in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. Doing very well. How are you doing? Good. I'm great. I'm sorry that we didn't have our podcast last week. Um, I was traveling in Cuba uh, with a group of guys uh, touring um, Cuba on a humanitarian motorcycle trip. I don't know if you can put those two things together. (laughs) First of its kind. It was an opportunity to see Cuba on two wheels and to do the back roads and to really get a good picture of of Cuba today. I also had the opportunity to visit with uh, a couple of people from the Jewish community in Cuba and uh, learned a lot about the the current status of Jews in Cuba. Mm-hmm. I, uh, well, I want to hear about both. I want to hear about the motorcycling and I want to hear about Cuban Jewry. So I, I mean, maybe just in general, in the trip, was there something, was there a best part? What was your favorite part? I think my favorite part was meeting the people. Uh, uh-huh. People in Cuba were, were very welcoming and very passionate and very eager to talk to us. The terrain, the roads were terrible. A lot of potholes, uh, which is mm-hmm. probably why it made it. Were they surprised to be, to see this motorcycle gang coming across their yeah, island? Not, not, not a gang, but uh, we would drive through small towns. We would drive through small towns and people wouldn't be out there, you know, video videoing us on their phones mm-hmm. and, you know kids coming up and seeing us and stuff but motorcycles are all over cuba it's a major form of transportation mostly scooters and small motorcycles so it's not odd to see motorcycles but when you see 10 11 you know of the same motorcycles riding through town it's it is a bit of an attraction mm-hmm. it was good uh, you know there's a long history of jewish life in cuba uh, it's dwindled dramatically. It, it, I learned that at one point there were 30,000 Jews that lived in Cuba, and now it's down to about 1,200, mostly in Havana. Uh, I, did, I was able to visit a couple of synagogues, uh, but I learned that because of COVID, s- services have not taken place for over two years. But because I was there at the close of Passover, I learned that there were two community seders that took place uh, hosting about 120 people total uh, for that time period. Also, the resources in Cuba are scarce to begin with, and they're also scarce for the Jewish community. And traditionally, or historically, the community receives a a cargo shipment from Canada with Passover food and goods, matzah, etc. And this year, because of the supply chain challenges, uh, they did not receive their Passover goods. Uh, and they showed us kind of the, the storeroom where they had a few things left, but they did not have a lot of um, of goods. Wow. How did they make their saviors then? Do you know? I, or I, they just I, use what they could find locally? Yeah, I mean, you can pretty much survive, uh, you know, with vegetables and, and the collection of matzahs that they had. But they did get some mm-hmm. stuff in from some places but their traditional shipment did not arrive. 
So, but it was it was a great it was a great trip, a good experience, and I enjoyed seeing people and learning about the current uh, life in Cuba, Jewish life in Cuba. Yeah, was there dancing involved? I feel like Cuba is a place known for I, a certain I, amount of dancing. Ten guys on a motorcycle. There was not any dancing. Not any dancing. You didn't find ten motorcycle loving ladies to pair off with. That that's funny. Although I will tell you that the synagogue that we visited, this Friday synagogue, they have rented out the sanctuary for a dance company. So, uh-huh. so there was some dancing, but not <laughs> not your not your, tip, your typical dancing. Uh, but there was also a really well done uh, uh, Holocaust exhibit that the synagogue put up that was funded by the Shoah Foundation. About the Jews who came to Cuba prior to the Holocaust or after or both? After, after the Holocaust. After. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, came for a little while and then um, left. But it was a good exhibit, a very well done exhibit. Mm -hmm. And did the community leadership that you met with sort of have a vision for what they think is going to happen since the community has gotten so small? Uh, no, that's a, that's a that's a great question. So we asked that question, and the answer was pretty much just um, trying to figure out a way to to make ends meet. Uh, there's a currently, as I learned, a financial embargo where it's difficult for the community to receive funding, uh, and at the time the funding was pretty sparse, and most of the Jews that still live in Cuba are elderly, and the needs of the elderly. Uh, are being you know met to the best of the ability of the of the country, but helping the, the Jewish individuals get their needs met is kind of the priority of the community. Mm-hmm. Well, we can hope that the, with COVID sort of calming down in a lot of places, that maybe tourism in general will pick up. And you know, seeing Jewish Cuba used to be a very popular trip. Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe those trips will come back into into the picture. Well, I, that's a great. Go and support the community. That's a great idea. I, I hope that maybe I can uh, advocate on that level to be able to do that. Um, Liz, I hate to say this to you, but I'm getting a warning that we only have four minutes left of our recording. <laughs> that's the first time I've I seen. No, that was a thing. It's, it's, it says I have to upgrade in four minutes. Um, but <laughs> So talk really fast, Alan. Before we get cut off, <laughs> I, uh, this week are the Yoms. Yom, Yom HaShoah was last week, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmut this week. Uh, anything going on in Israel that you want to talk about in terms of the Yoms before we have to figure out how to deal with our upgrade here? I, uh, so there are many things going on in Israel. So I'll just say a bunch of things in our remaining minutes, and hopefully people will find it interesting and uh, informative. So I think one aspect of Yom Zikaron and Yom Asmaut in Israel, right? Israel's um, Day of Remembrance for fallen soldiers and victims of terror, and then of course Israel's Independence Day. And I think most people realize that these two days happen back to back in Israel and that that's sort of a weird, you know, dramatic shift from arguably the saddest day of the Israeli calendar to the happiest day of the Israeli calendar. Um, And that, you know, dichotomy 
no matter how many years you spend in Israel celebrating the days that way, every year it still strikes you again. Like, why did we do this to ourselves? And, 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 you know, how did that come to be? Um, so that's one, you know, I find myself thinking about it every year, even though it's not new. I am, um, but, but something that is new that struck me this year, I am, um, is in terms of the different customs for celebrating those days in a private way versus a public slash religious way. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I have, in just my personal experience, I have no idea what the percentages are. Maybe I'll need to find out. Um, but in my experience, I both um, Yom Zikaron and Yom Asmud are holidays that I have celebrated outside of the synagogue space. I have never particularly thought of them as religious holidays, right? Obviously, they're Israeli cultural national holidays. I am. Um, but I haven't thought of them as religious. And we have always watched the national ceremonies, both at the beginning of Yom Azikawan when they light the torch and the president of the country speaks and, um, you know, surviving family members of uh, various people that have been lost speak. And it's, it's a very somber ceremony. It takes place at the hotel. And then to, the next night, the uh, what's called the... Um, I don't know how to say it in English, but that sort of transfer ceremony where you go from ending Yom Azikawan to beginning Yom Azimut, which takes place on Har Herzl in Jerusalem. Um, and, and I've always watched those on television and that's sort of been the way that we did the holiday in addition, of course, to barbecuing and all of the other Israeli traditions. But only recently did I realize that a lot of families um, do celebrate those holidays in the synagogue. And that there's a whole culture of how the synagogues do those, those ceremonies and the songs that take place there and the traditions. And, um, and so that to me was interesting just to think about that it's a very different way of doing the holidays. Um, and, and maybe I'll have to check it out one of these years. I've always, I've always valued that transition from Yom HaZikaron and to see the somber into the celebratory. It really talks a lot about Israel as a country to go from tragedy to celebration. Um, before we get definitely, definitely a sign of resilience. It is. Before we get cut off because of this um, transition of upgrade, <laughs> I just want to thank